Welcome to Clearway Capital Solutions' new podcast series where we talk to some of the service providers that can assist in building a funds management business, including questions regarding operations in order to conduct a financial services business in Australia. I am Dennis Methonius, Managing Director from Clearway Capital Solutions, and I'm joined by Tim Chung, who is the Managing Director at Mantis Funds. Timothy Chung is a co-founder and CEO of Mantis Funds, an alternative fund platform that was established in 2020 to help connect Australian investors with the world's leading private equity, alternative debt and hedge funds. Mantis specialises in partnering with offshore managers to build Australian unit trust feeders. Mantis has 12 fund partners ranging in size from 20 million to 50 billion in funds under management. Hello, Tim. Let's say a global public markets fund manager based in the United States is aiming to raise capital in Australia for the first time. What is the role of the fund operator? Uh, thanks, Dennis. Thanks for having me and thank you for the question. Um, what's the role of the fund operator? Uh, if I can, I'd just like to take a step back. Um, for Australian investors today looking at offshore uh, offshore strategies, typically, especially in the wholesale advice segment, the investors will prefer an Australian vehicle. So if you're a US manager or a European manager looking to enter the Australian market in a serious way, um, you've probably got two choices. Um, the first is a feeder fund that goes uh, that invests directly into your offshore master fund. The second option is a parapassu managed fund to one of your strategies, whichever you're pushing, or I guess the third option linked to that is a managed account with an Australian vehicle uh, uh, as the structure. Now, as soon as you go down that path of deciding that you do want an Australian vehicle, whether it's a feeder or otherwise, suddenly all the Australian licensing requirements around, um, you know, we have regulations around dealing and particularly marketing of, of uh, funds management or financial services products generally, Licensing issues come into play, compliance issues come into play, and also, unless you are, um, you know, are you intending to set up a very significant operation in Australia, uh, very likely you're going to be looking to outsource some of the key services, being audit, tax, trustee, or responsible entity, and managing and appointing all of those services is the role of the fund operator. Um, collectively, you know, you might call it the investment manager role. Um, uh, you know, in in, uh, in in contrast to the US or offshore manager in this case being the portfolio manager. How important is a high quality funds operations team? What can go wrong? Oh, look, uh, Dennis, lots and lots can go wrong. Um, we like to think of the lots of things that can also go right. Um, a high quality fund operations team is critical from both a client-centric and regulatory point of view. Um, let's start with the client-centric point of view because this is probably the one that, that a lot of offshore fund managers need a bit of time to wrap their heads around. Um, the Australian end client has been, um, I guess, blessed in some ways by a, a very developed ecosystem of infrastructure and technology which has pushed them towards quite high-quality, daily-priced vehicles that are compliant with probably one of the most, uh, you know, not to don't want to scare people, but one of probably the most complex tax systems in the world and certainly one of the higher tax regimes, 
which means that the end investors do care about that outcome. So, so investors' client expectations are extremely high um, when they invest into a fund from an operating perspective. On the regulatory side, we also have a very active regulator in ASIC, right? Particularly when you're t- dealing with products that have the potential to touch retail customers. And I think we'll touch on this a little bit later um, as to what the nuances of running a registered scheme, which in theory can um, uh, uh, attract retail customers now. But the regulator is, is, is very, very active and very focused on the area. So, so the, the importance of a, a, a high-quality operations team is, is, is reflecting that. On the regulatory side, it's ensuring that you know you don't get you know, we don't get a slap um, you know uh, on the hand for not marketing funds properly, not creating the right, uh, not designing the products with the end investor in mind um, in the right way. From the client perspective, and this is where you know where we've certainly been focusing our efforts, the key concern is around the clients experience. It's, I think what, what's really important to keep in mind is that for your typical fund, your operations slash what you might call operations or client relations team, or you might call your client registry, is going to touch your clients probably four to 12 times as often as as your sales team are. So even if your sales team are talking to the guys every, every quarter, right, the reality is these guys are getting monthly statements or more. And when things go wrong, especially around distributions, especially around administrative issues like changing bank details, that's where clients get scared. And so it's extremely important, purely from a keeping the customers happy perspective, to have a very strong operations team. Can the fund manager set up a vehicle that feeds into an overseas commingled structure? And what are the advantages and disadvantages of this approach? Um, you, you mentioned that at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let, let's say let's say you're an offshore manager and you have a um, you know you have a, for the sake of argument a um, global equities you know a global equity strategy, um, uh, and you want to enter the Australian market um, and um, you know and 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 believe that you know and, that the, the best way to do that is by setting up an Australian vehicle. Um, as I said, you know the two options are a feeder or a parapursue managed vehicle. Starting with the feeder, the, uh, the advantages are many. Uh, the, first is that, um, the first is that it's, it's simple, transparent, well-known to the market, and has limited operational load from the offshore manager's perspective. Think of it as a, a single investor into your master fund, into the main vehicle. And so that's that's that that's simpler to deal with from a operating perspective. So it's actually trading the underlying assets in the fund, but also it's much easier from a KYC perspective, which is something that is extreme, has become extremely important for offshore, particularly US-based managers. Now there are a few disadvantages. Um, one is perception, because you can deal with this commercially, but obviously there is the perception around um, fees on fees, right? Injecting a layer and cost on cost. And so what we found with our partners, with our clients, with the end investors, is that they are very, very focused on ensuring that on a look-through basis, the fees that are being charged, you know, 
all the way through to the master fund and the, the additional admin client registry costs are also uh, acceptable and certainly are reported well so that the investor knows what they're getting into, right? The second um, you know, perceived disadvantage um, can sometimes come around, come around tax time. So uh, the Australian unit trust structure has been set up to basically pass through tax consequence to the underlying investors. What that means is that if the fund trades, um, you know, trades with high velocity and it's all trading profits, you know, that might be what, you know, in, in, you know, in simple terms, um, you know, income, right? Trading income for the fund. When you have, when you have capital gains or long-term capital gains, there can certainly be advantages for the end investor in, in their income coming in the form of long-term capital gains. Once you intermediate a vehicle in between, sometimes the character of the underlying trading changes. I'm certainly not a tax expert, but this is this is an issue that does does come up occasionally. You've sort of touched on it, but can you provide an outline of the type of operational requirements of either approach? Yeah, absolutely, Dennis. So the general requirements are going to be the same whether you decide to go with a feeder or a pursuit uh, managed vehicle. Okay, so both are going to need a license. So unless you're an offshore manager that falls under some sort of um, a grandfathering mechanism, you're either going to need to partner with an Australian provider who can offer you an authorised representative status um, uh, to get a license, or uh, or there is a, a foreign licensing uh, uh, path that can um, that is available as well. From a compliance perspective, again, many of the key uh, many of the key requirements, uh, whether it's a feeder or a um, separately managed vehicle, if you like, uh, are going to be the same. And also, a lot of the key service providers, with the exception of the broker, right, or uh, or prime broker, if you if you happen to be a a, a, a long short fund. Um, are going to need to be put in place, and therefore you're likely you're likely to need a team to manage those outsourced services. The distinction comes when you do decide to set up a completely managed strategy uh, in Australia. So, so Mantis has has seen both. So we have funds which are purely feeders, and we also have ones that we help uh, that we've partnered with, where the underlying Australian vehicle actually manages. Yeah, actually manages the underlying investments, um, uh, mirroring the offshore strategy. In that situation, you the additional operational load is that you will need a back office who can deal with things like settlements, corporate auctions, and as an example, very frequently, currency hedging. That team doesn't need to be based in Australia, but needs to be needs to have the appropriate authorizations, licenses, skills necessary to do that. How do fund operations differ between wholesale, unregistered, and registered management investment schemes? Yeah, so so you'll hear, um, you know, you you will hear about the difference between the two uh, most common types of vehicles um, in Australia being wholesale vehicle, and sometimes you'll hear people talk about it as an information memorandum, an IAM vehicle um, that just refers to the type of offering document that is being used. And then you'll hear about registered schemes and you might hear 
those funds being talked about as having a PDS, a product disclosure statement, again, just referring to the common um, uh, offering doc that is used for that type of scheme. Again, most of the requirements are the same. Um, we, uh, whether for, for many of our clients, especially large offshore managers, whether it's a wholesale or a registered scheme, we will tend to guide them towards the higher level of higher level of compliance and governance uh, because that's what investors are getting used to, right? But there are some differences. Um, the differences for a uh, for having a registered scheme are driven twofold, right? The first is by the regulator themselves. There are some there are some uh, requirements, especially around marketing, that are specifically focused on registered schemes. The second area that you're likely to have a, a difference in terms of from day to day compliance perspective. Um, is the requirements of the responsible entity themselves. So when you start to register scheme, you need to have what's called a responsible entity. It's kind of like a trustee, but with additional hurdles. Um, and usually um, for boutique funds or offshore funds looking to set up in Australia, you will outsource that function or you'll partner with an outsourced RE. The, all of the strong and reputable REs, responsible entities, have their own compliance requirements. And so that will create an additional workload for somebody who wants to set up a registered fund. On the regulatory side, the biggest, the biggest differentiation is probably uh, probably around the offering document itself, what, what you need to disclose in the offering document being a product disclosure standard for registered scheme, as well as target market determinations and complying with design and distribution obligations, which include things like ensuring that the product has been designed with a customer in mind, ensuring that distribution, the distribution team distributes it to customers that are appropriate for that product. Um, the other final one is, and this is, this is not a, this is not a, uh, a standard, but it's just a, uh, as in it's not a regulatory standard, but is a, a common distinction is that very often in Australia, registered schemes tend to also be synonymous with with, uh, with daily price schemes. And having a daily price versus a monthly price or quarterly price obviously has a very significant shift to the operational workload. How much will it cost to set up a fund in Australia, Tim? Yeah, so look, the, 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 it, it varies depending on the service provider uh, that you decide to partner with and the complexity of the product. But as a guide for for fund managers offshore who are looking to enter Australia, and I'm talking all Australian dollars here, um, you know, probably I would I would expect setup costs to range between fifty and one hundred thousand dollars, depending on the complexity of the product. Now, if you decide to go down the path of a registered scheme, you're looking at Approximately one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars a year in fund direct operating costs, which in turn are broken down into three three components in terms of uh, importance and and magnitude. One is the trustee or, or responsible entity themselves. The second is the fund admin client registry, and the third is order and tax. Right. So so those those collectively will add up to yeah, a, a decent sum. Operationally, if you're looking to set up in Australia um, and you don't want to run an 
run an entirely Australian team, which would be sorry, run an entirely offshore-based team, uh, which would be very difficult, by the way. Um, you're either going to need to partner with a with a fund operator or hire an FTE in Australia or half an FTE if you could get half an FTE. So again, I'm, go- I'm going to call that cost a ballpark of $100,000, whether you outsource it or whether you hire in Australia. Um, now, most of these costs, it is worth noting, many of these costs can be charged directly to the fund, um, but it's customary in Australia and certainly the investors have come to expect that the, especially in early days, that there'll be a cap on fund expenses, which means that in practice, um, you know, if you add up all those operating costs and you assume that a fund is charging 1% uh, management fee, you kind of want to see $25, $30 million in fund for a vehicle to be viable in Australia. Are there any other important considerations a fund manager should consider before they set up operations in Australia? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the you know the the, the super fund industry, including the self management fund industries, is is huge. Uh, you know, I think you know depending on whether we're double counting some of the self managed super funds, we're talking you know four trillion dollars plus. You know, it's one of the top five um, markets uh, for investors in the world. Now, it's big, but accessing the audience that that offshore managers have have been increasingly targeting being the advised intermediated customers is very very complicated and requires a level of commitment so so you know one one thing i'll say you know before an offshore manager every offshore manager we talk to is thinking about entering australia you know we we always we always point out you know this is this is a multi-year project um, and you need commitment not just from the operating team, the business team, but from the portfolio management team to ensure that ensure that the little things like you know sending out quarterly risk reports and quarterly risk reviews are, are done. You know that that the regulator needs here. Another issue to consider will be will be as I said whether or not you partner with a local team or whether you hire yourself. Um, both you know both methods have their pluses and minuses. Um, cost is obviously an issue for hiring a local team, but also you know the ability to attract the right people is 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 um, is, is going to be something that is should be front of mind for offshore managers. The last issue, and, and this is more of a commercial one than, than anything else that we always ask the managers to think about, is like, what what are you selling here? You know, what is the edge? What is the distinction? Why do you want it in the Australian market? Um, if your edge as an Example is 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 you have a very distinctive strategy. You know, that that's fantastic. If your edge is is around in the home country, uh, your head office that you have a you know your operational excellence and client service excellence, it's very important to understand whether or not that can be replicated and translated in Australia. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Dennis. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk to your audience. <laughs>